Hello and welcome to another episode of Ineptus Artists, episode 4. This one will have battle reports in it. We're also going to get to a couple of uh, reader questions and... Um, reader questions, whatever. Listener questions, you get it. And then we're also going to talk about a few of the Legion Centurion upgrades and how you might choose to field them going forward. The first listener question is going to be a simple one, and it's based off of um, the Recon Squad talk that I had with Alex last episode, which, by the way, if you didn't listen to that last one, please go back and check that one out. Um, the question was about the value of pinning, which is something that Alex and I talked about, and someone was asking me why it was difficult to talk about the exact value of it. And part of that is because of the fact that pinning is definitely not a guaranteed thing, okay? So take a look at, for our situation, we're talking about recon marines with nemesis bolters. So if you're doing a minimum squad, which is what I have been doing, we're talking about five marines, 66% um, of the time they will hit, which you know mathematically is 3.3 hits, so we'll say three. Um, and then you've got to roll to wound, Against a standard toughness four target, you're going to wound two out of the three times, and maybe one of those will be a rending five plus, uh, statistically anyway. So one of those will be a rend. So it's very likely that you're going to target a unit and make a kill as far as the numbers strictly go. That changes a little bit depending on, you know, um, whether or not your opponent has artificer armor, whether or not your opponent has an apothecary or whatever else. But for starters, there's a pretty good shot that you're going to get one kill. The problem comes in when you have to make the, the uh, opponent fail their leadership test for that pinning. So as we all know, uh, when we cause a leadership test or a pinning test in general, as soon as an opponent takes a casualty from a weapon with pinning, they have to take a pinning test. You can make an opponent take more than one pinning test. Every time they take a casualty from a separate unit, they have to do this. So you can cause multiple pinning tests to the same unit, but it still doesn't necessarily mean that it's guaranteed to happen. So the biggest reason why is because you have to look at the leadership values of the armies that we're considering. So right now, just talking about Marines, because that's what we have to look at, the standard Marine, the generic Marine has a leadership of seven, and the average Sergeant or leader has a leadership of eight. On top of that, we're going to think about looking at leadership values of six because if there is night fighting and the sergeant is dead, that's the other likely value that you're going to see a lot of the time. So when we're talking about pinning, we're talking about leadership, most of the time eight, seven, or six. There are definitely characters that'll have nine leadership, and there's lots of different ways that that can happen. The Dark Angels have a, um, a warlord trait that allows every unit within line of sight of that warlord, for example, to get plus one leadership. So that throws this right out the window. But on the whole, we're looking at six, sevens, and eights. So when you're rolling a leadership test, you take two dice and you need to roll equal to or under the leadership number. And because of the way that works out and the variability of those dice rolls on 2d6, the most common number that you should expect to see, the most individual result total, would be a 7. Obviously, though, the, um, the higher the leadership value, the, the more likely you are to pass. If you are forced to take a pinning test or a leadership test at initiative 8 with no other modifiers, 
At initiative, or not initiative eight, leadership eight, you should pass roughly 72% of the time. That's pretty good. Um, it still means that a little bit more than one in four times you're going to fail it, but you're not likely to fail that. It, it's, it's more likely that you should be able to pass it. However, if you drop down to leadership seven, that is a 58% chance. And I believe if my math's right here, you only have like a 41 to 2%. It's, it's just over 40% chance to pass leadership six. So here's the deal. Um, if you're only causing one painting test because you have one recon squad, there is a strong chance of being able to pin, but most of the time it's not over 50 some percent. Uh, approaching 60% in the best case scenario. Now, if you are f shooting at a target of standard Marines and their sergeant is leadership eight and the rest of the squad is seven and you've managed to kill the sergeant with a rending strike or whatever else or just a lucky one plus roll or, you know, whatever, or one roll, then you do drop their leadership from an eight down to a seven, which does increase the chances of failing it. But the person still has a pretty good shot at avoiding being pinned. Now, even if that happens, as was said in last episode, pinning just kind of takes one unit out of the game for a turn, which is fantastic, but it doesn't really like permanently remove the problem for you. That being said, there's lots of ways to bring multiple pin checks into your army. And as I was talking about, you know, a friend was talking to me the other day about how this firewing list seems to have a lot of pinning, but, you know, Iron Warrior's Hammer of Olympia, you can get pinning on every tactical squad and for pretty cheap as well. You just have to force one, uh, one death one for a, for a pinning check. All right, anybody can take a tactical support squad with rotor cannons, and rotor cannons are pretty nice. Same thing, you just have to get one kill to make that work. That being said, the... The problem is that you cannot necessarily count on that change. You can't count on that effect working, so you can't say for certain that it's going to do what you want it to do. It's best to consider it an added bonus or to plan accordingly to try to coordinate more than one uh, pinning test on a unit that you really, really need to stay put. The next listener question is... A lot more complicated. Um, this listener asked me to, to help him make a Fury of the Ancients list that is good and competitive, including loadout, gear, and what legions would be the best for it. Okay. So, um, Dreadnoughts, this edition, are very, very good. And for those of you who don't know, Fury of the Ancients is a right of war that allows you to take uh, Dreadnoughts entirely. You can take Contemptor Dreadnoughts all over the place. They count as your troop choices. You can take them as elite choices. Um, you can fill up your Force Org, basically, with Dreadnoughts. It sounds cool, and it would look awesome, and it'd be a lot of fun. I, as soon as I knew about this right of war, I thought about doing it for myself, just because it does sound cool. The biggest problem currently is that dreadnoughts are the problem child of the Horus Heresy 2.0 meta, at least for space marines. Dreadnoughts having changed to wounds as opposed to armor means that they are no longer susceptible to the lucky one shot of a last cannon or a multi-melta that can just wipe out the thing entirely. 
they are immune to instant death. So effects that would just cause instant death um, don't apply to them, only causing multiple wounds, which is good, but still doesn't just remove them. They have a weapon skill 5, which means that um, only other elite melee units will be able to fight them in melee and hit on 4s. Standard Terminators being weapon skill 4 means that one place where you used to put melee anti-tank or anti-heavy gear, which was Terminators, they only hit a third of the time. It's, it's just not very reliable. On top of that, um, some of the other tools that would be readily available to destroy or dispose of uh, dreadnoughts either are much more expensive than the individual dreadnought or are just seemingly by design not that effective against them. The first thing that comes to mind is crack grenades. Crack grenades are available on pretty much every marine that walks and they are auto-hit strength 6 AP3 weapons, which is fantastic and really, really good for removing like rhino chassis or predators or other you know small to mid vehicles, having a chance to do something anyway. Well, auto-hitting with strength 6 against a toughness 7 means that the Dreadnought still is only wounded on a 5+, and still gets their full 2-plus save. So, how many crack grenades do you need to kill a Contemptor Dreadnought? 100 crack grenades will almost kill a standard dreadnought, contemptor dreadnought, which is base 175 points. Melt-a-bombs are a little bit better because melt-a-bombs have some unique rule interactions which help with uh, contemptors. Specifically, melt-a-bombs have the armor bane melee rule, which means they get to reroll all failed wounds against dreadnoughts. They should wound on a 3+, rerolling, so that's pretty good chance. Um, and also they have the instant death rule, which for dreadnoughts does not instantly destroy them, but it means that it causes D3 wounds instead of D1, so that's good. Uh, but the biggest problem is that melt-a-bombs do not auto-hit, like crack grenades do, and so you have to use them as a standard melee weapon, which means that on a 5+, you hit the dreadnought. So you still need probably 15 or maybe even more melt-a-bomb attacks to kill a single contemptor dreadnought. Um, as if melt-a-bombs were easy to come by in this edition, which they are not. They used to be accessible on lots of units, but it's just not the case anymore. You might be thinking to yourself, well, how about I shoot it? Okay, so one of the cheaper ways to get a whole bunch of LAS cannon shots is to go with a Legion Heavy Support Squad. Um, it's 100 points base, 15 points for every additional model after the 10, and 10 points per model for... Uh, the LAS cannons. My math says that's 275 points. 10 LAS cannons on average almost kills one uh, Dreadnought because Dreadnoughts do have a 5 plus and a vulnerable save. Something that is 100 points base more than the Contemptor will not be able to kill it if everything goes perfectly well. It's not, it's not a great trade for you in any regard. One addition that this has come out in Heresy 2.0 that might be nice for taking out a Dreadnought is the Brutal special rule. Brutal is an effect that comes on certain, well, only melee for now, who knows what they'll do with it, but Brutal causes, for every uh, successful wound roll, the defender, whoever is recipient of the wounds, has to take that many extra um, saves, and they have to pass all of them to avoid getting hurt. So like if you've got 
brutal two, then if I wound you twice with my thunder hammer, then you have to take two saves. And if you fail one of them, you still take that wound. Do you know who has really easy access to brutal? Brutal three, in fact. You guessed it. Contemptor Dreadnoughts. Probably the best thing for you to kill a Contemptor Dreadnought with is, in fact, another Contemptor Dreadnought. That's not necessarily bad. I mean, Dreadnoughts are a super iconic part of the Horus Heresy lore, and a lot of people like them. I love the old box dreads. I like the new Contemptors. I've never fielded one of the Bowling Ball Leviathans yet, but I might this edition. Um, I like the idea of them. They're cool little units, but the Problem is that right now they're just, they're really, really tough. I think if you picked a Legion that had absolutely no synergy with the Dreadnought and ran a Fury of the Ancients list, like for example, I've been thinking about doing a Night Lord's Fury of the Ancient list because as it stands currently, Dreadnoughts only count as one model for outnumbering purposes, so they would have no interaction whatsoever with the Talent for Murder, Special Rule for Night Lords. I think I would still do pretty well with a entirely Dreadnought Night Lords army that had almost no interactions with the Night Lords Special Rules. They're that good. Now, does this mean that you shouldn't take them at all? No, I don't think that's true. The fact that they're so cheap allows you to buy one or two for your army and use them for a couple different purposes. I mean... I think I'm painting up one with a multi-melta and a fist, and then one with a las cannon and a fist for my, my Dark Angels. And it allows you to take other sillier, expensive units that you like the way they look, or, you know, stuff that you wouldn't necessarily have room for before, because, again, the Contemptors do a lot, and they're just so darn cheap. So, what's the total cap that you can have in a list without being that guy? Mileage may vary, depending on your meta, but I would say two to three is plenty. I also think that while Fury of the Ancients will definitely still see play, I know it's being banned at a lot of events because of the fact that showing up to a game in which you don't have a chance to talk to your buddy beforehand, getting paired with a Fury of the Ancients list, would be a lot of not fun for some people. And I don't mean to be so negative about this Rite of War, or the unit itself. Like I said, I do love Dreadnoughts, and I would like to use them as often as I can. I just again think that as Heresy players, if especially if we're still looking at and pushing for a strong narrative, fun experience for ourselves and our opponents, um, mass Dreadnoughts are not going to be the way to go. Uh, there's a guy that I know through the community who is a really smart player, and he is trying his hardest right now to work on his Fury of the Ancients list to dumb it down so that it's fun to play against, okay? When you have to take an army and intentionally make it worse to try to make the game fun for your opponent, that is a sign of a problem in the game. For our next segment, we are going to start taking a look at all of the Centurions that are available for HQ spots uh, in the game currently. Um, we're going to talk about their builds, their rules, and some of the things that you might consider doing with them. Today I think we'll get through three, maybe four, and then this will continue on through the next couple of episodes. I'm excited about this because I think uh, kitting out your characters um, is a really fun thing to do uh, and a fun way to build a little bit of um, story and um, 
narrative in your campaign and also then just you know optimizing your force for exactly what it is that you're trying to accomplish so first up we're going to take a look at the legion centurion uh, the standard profile um, the legion centurion is 60 points it has a movement seven weapon skill and ballistic skill five strength and toughness of four base of two wounds Initiative 5, Leadership 9, 3 attacks, and a 2 plus save. So that's one difference from those who, who are um, players from old. You get uh, free Artificer Armor. So that's nice. Uh, the unit size, of course, is 1 Centurion. It has Infantry and Character. Standard War Gear for the Centurion is Bolt Pistol, Chainsword, Artificer Armor, Refractor Field, Frag Grenades, and Crack Grenades. The standard special rules are Legionus Astartes, of course, so you get the benefit of your Legion rules. You do have the independent character rule, Legion Consularis, which allows you to take all of the upgrades um, that we'll be talking about coming up. And then, of course, the Relentless rule. Relentless is that rule that allows you to move uh, and shoot heavy weapons. So this is mostly going to be useful probably for um, firing. Well, I mean, you can fire a bolter and you can still charge. Uh, you can also fire your Nemesis Bolter after moving without snap shooting, so that's good. The Centurion can take a bunch of other options, of course. You can buy them a Bolter for 2 points, a Magna Combi Weapon for 10, or a Miner for 5. You can give them a Volkite Charger for 2 points, which is interesting because it's the same cost as a Bolter. So unless you've got a good reason to, you're going to buy them a Volkite Charger, if anything. And a sort of Shotgun for 2 points, which is fun to think about. Or a Nemesis Bolter for 10 points. And as I want to point out, um, you know, your Centurions being able to have Relentless makes the Nemesis Bolter pretty uh, pretty appetizing. But 10 points is still 10 points. So anyway, moving on. You, they can exchange their Bolt Pistol and or their Chainsword for one of the following. A Volkite Serpenta for 2, flame, Hand Flamer for 2, Plasma Pistol for 10, Chain Axe for 5 points. A Charnable Weapon for 10, a Power Weapon for 15, Power Fist for 25, Lightning Claw for 15, or a Thunder Hammer for a whopping 30 points. They can also take a free boarding shield, which is interesting. And a Legion Centurion that selects a boarding shield also becomes a heavy unit. If they take this, they can't take Combat Bike, a Spatha Combat Bike, a Scimitar Jet Bike, or a Jump Pack. Now, the uh, Centurion can also exchange both Bolt Pistol and Change Sword for 15 points instead of 15 points for just one, which is really interesting. So, I mean, you get rid of the other one entirely for free, or get the other Lightning Claw entirely for free. Otherwise, uh, other options are you can take a Combat Shield for free, Melted Bombs for 10 points, and then as far as mobility options, the standard Legion Centurion can take a Jump Pack for 20 points, or a Combat Bike for 20 points, a Scimitar Jet Bike for 30 points, also, it should be pointed out that you can't take a jet bike or a scimitar jet bike. You can't take a jet bike or a combat bike if you take two lightning claws, which I guess makes sense. Where do I put my hands? Who's driving this thing? Anyway, so those are the basic readout options for this Legion Centurion. So just briefly elaborating on those, uh, the Warhawk Jump Pack, of course, does grant a bunch of special rules. All of these mobility options just add a bunch of special rules if you have a jump pack, you become bulky, too. You gain Hammer of Wrath 1, and you can also Deep Strike. And it says that if you were bulky beforehand, you gain uh, bulky 3. I'm having a hard time thinking off the top of my head of any example where that happens. Maybe that's just future-proofing, or maybe I'm forgetting something. 
you get to change your movement to 12. If you do use that, then you ignore difficult terrain. But if you land um, in it, then it, any terrain becomes dangerous terrain. So that's pretty consistent with the way things were in, in the past editions. So it shouldn't be too dissimilar. But I mean, of course, you know, uh, you're flying around with a jetpack, hopping around the board. You land in a ruins. It's a lot more dangerous than just jogging through. You can activate this and still run. You just add the initiative characteristic to 12 to determine how far you can move. Um, but you cannot choose to, you may not choose to activate the Legion uh, jump pack to gain any bonus to movement characteristic in a reaction or something similar. So similarly, um, the Spatha combat bike, which is the standard motorcycle, it, it has its own rules that are added. The bike has a twin-linked bolter, and uh, a model with the combat bike that runs in the movement phase gains Shrouded 5+. plus. So if your character and their escort is scooting along the board, they do get basically free damage mitigation. The bike no longer adds toughness, uh, and, and that's important to know. They are just regular people on bikes. Um, and they also become cavalry from other unit types that they were before and may choose to gain the skirmish unit subtype. Their movement becomes 14, and they gain the firing protocols 2 and hammer of wrath one. So firing protocols is that one where your uh, character, your centurion, can shoot one weapon of their own and still fire the bike gun. So that allows them to shoot two weapons. The Spetha combat bike, I mean, I want to like it. It You move technically faster than the jump pack, but the big difference here of not ignoring terrain is huge. And also, I think, on average, bikes are much more expensive to bring as a like babysitter unit for your Centurion. So I'm not sure we'll see a lot of this. I'm probably gonna try to experiment it with my White Scars because I did that a little bit in the past, but we shall see. The last option is similar to the Spatha Combat Bike, the Scimitar Jet Bike, it's same thing. If you choose to run, you gain Shrouded Special Rule. You do gain Firing Protocols too, and Hammer of Wrath. Um, but Scimitar also gives you Deep Strike because the, the jet bikes can apparently just, you know, deploy out of a Thunderhawk or something and fly out of the sky and land on the field, which is pretty neat. I'm a little disappointed that they can't also outflank because, um, well, that would make my life easier as a White Scars player. But it's not bad. They become Cavalry Anti-Grav as a unit type as well. It also doesn't say here... But I, oh, it does say, yeah, one heavy bolter. So they do get a weapon there as well. So you can fire a heavy bolter and your pistol or whatever else you chose to bring as well. I think you're going to find uh, characters using all three of these maneuv manipulation or movement methods in the game. Definitely, I think the Warhawk jump pack seems like it'll probably see the most play, in my opinion. It is a little bit cheaper at 20 points as opposed to the 30 for the jet bike. But it doesn't move quite as fast as the combat bike. However, I think being able to jump over terrain is, like, way better than the extra two inches of movement. The Scimitar Jet Bike, if you are fielding jet bikes, I think you'll see these too. But the biggest thing is that there are a ton of different units that have options to gain jet jump packs, as opposed to maybe fewer that can put on bikes or, you know, Legion Special Units that have that capacity or whatever else. So I definitely take a look at a jump pack. If you're going to wield a Centurion and you're going to think about mobility, you're probably going to see jump pack. But, you know, 
A liar imagination is run wild. So when going back and looking at the other options available here for the Centurion, some of the things that I noticed that are sort of interesting, the uh, ranged options, the Bolter, the Magni combi weapon, the Minor combi weapon, the Volkite charger, the shotgun, and then the Nemesis Bolter, are pretty similarly priced to what you would get from other uh, from other unit entries. 10 points per Nemesis Bolter is what you pay to upgrade it on a Seeker or a Recon Marine. Two points for a Bolter, pretty standard. You're going to spend the same amount on combi weapons here as you would on any Sergeant pretty much anywhere in any unit in the game. Very consistent, which is nice and also interesting. Considering the fact that these... These models do have Ballistic Skill 5, so they're hitting better than a standard Marine. But there is no point fluctuation here. You're paying about the same as you would otherwise. What's more interesting to me is the amount of a seeming, I don't know, it's almost like there's a tax here on the uh, Centurion melee weapons. So the Volkai Serpenta and Hand Flamer and the Plasma Pistol, all the you know options that are shooting options, Pretty standard. Two points for those two, and then ten for the plasma pistol. Five points for chain axe um, to upgrade from a chain sword to a chain axe for one strength. That's a that's about reasonable, I would say. But everything else seems to be roughly five points more than I than well, definitely five points more than other units. Now this does make sense considering that this unit has a, a high number of attacks. It's got a base three attack and a weapon skill of five. But you pay, let me take a look here, for the options that are, yeah, for the options that are similar, it looks like pretty much everything that you can buy for the Centurion is the same price that you would pay for a Legion Praetor, which of course is a more specialized HQ unit, um, a more effective close combat unit with more attacks and more wounds and a higher weapon skill. But the, the Centurion does pay the same amount for all of those things. It's just an interesting observation. Now, some of that will be adjusted because the discount comes in when you're taking a look at the different um, extra bonuses or things that you're adding on to the consoles because the Legion Consularis rules, when you start adding templates like Siege Breaker or whatever else, for example, the Vigilator does get a free upgrade of a weapon and the Champion does as well. So some of that is baked into this cost, but... If you're wanting to do anything outside of this, you're going to pay for that on a premium, which is sort of interesting to me. Now, there are, of course, two other data points for the Centurions. There's the Legion Cataphracti Centurion in the Cataphracti plate Terminator armor. And then, of course, the Legion Tartaros Centurion, um, which is in the Tartaros pattern, a little bit sleeker looking Terminator armor. Okay, so the stat lines for these two characters are... The same other than the fact that uh, the cataphracti loses one inch of movement going down from six or from seven to six. However, they gain the heavy subtype so that if you place them in a unit of heavy models, then they all get to reroll their blast saves. Um, the cataphracti centurion is also 85 points to the centurion, the Tartaro centurions, uh, 75 points. And this is also because the Cataphracti Centurion, because of the Cataphracti Terminator armor, gets a 4-plus invulnerable save than the 5-plus invulnerable save of the Tartarus Centurion. Both sets of armor do come with a 2-plus regular armor save, and while the Cataphracti does have a 4-plus save, they also lose the ability to make sweeping advances, which um, 
actually is better because they used to not be able to react, and they also used to not be able to run. So Cataphracti actually got considerably better, I think, in this edition. Um, they were already kind of the favorite because a 4-plus invulnerable save feels light years better than a 5-plus. Uh, but being able to react still and uh, being able to run if you need to reposition is a really, really good change for them. As far as war gear goes, other than the different pattern of Terminator armor, both are modeled with or come with a combi bolter and a power weapon. A combi bolter is just a regular bolter that is twin linked. So 24 inch range, strength 4, AP 5, rapid fire, um, but twin linked. And then the power weapon is built into their profile and part of the armor. So that all goes together. And that will cause some reductions in a little bit of prices on upgrades in a minute. In addition to the changes because of the different type of cataphracta armor that they're wearing, the Centurions also gain the bulky 2 rule because that's what happens when you put on a, stra a strap on a suit of giant uh, armor. But, and this is something I missed before, they also gain, both of these uh, Terminator uh, Centurions gain the inexorable rule. And what this does is it negates uh, an additional, any minuses from leadership tests or pinning tests. So if there are ways to cause some of that, like because of uh, shell shock, I think shell shock, is that it? But some of the, some weapons have the ability to cause an additional modifier on leadership. And Terminators, these Centurions don't take that, which is interesting. And something that I missed the first time I was looking at these rules. Moving on, though, let's take a look at their other uh, data points and options. And these are all identical down the line. The Legion Cataphracti Centurion and Tartaro Centurion can exchange their Combi Bolter for a Magni Combi weapon for 10 points, or a Miner for 5, or just for a Volkite Charger for 2 points. So, pretty standard. They can also exchange their Power Weapon, which, of course, a Power Weapon, by stating this, it can be a Power Sword, a Power Axe, a Power Lance, I suppose, or a Power Maul. But you can upgrade to a Power Fist for 10 points. You can just take a single Lightning Claw for free, which is interesting. You can have a Chain Fist for 15 points or a Thunder Hammer for 15 points. You can also take two Lightning Claws for 15 points and a Grenade Harness for five. So this is something that's interesting about both of these setups. Because of the fact that you cannot take a pistol on a Terminator, you're not necessarily gaming for that extra close combat bonus for having two close combat weapons. So taking something like a Power Fist, which is a specialist weapon, so you need to have two of them to get the paired bonus anyway, seems more valuable. Or, honestly, even just a Lightning Claw, because the Lightning Claw is also specialist in that regards. On top of that, the two Lightning Claws for 15 points, it's really not that bad. And depending on your Legion rules and what you're going to do with them, probably worth considering on some of those, because... You're getting, remember, from Lightning Claws, if you have two of them instead of one attack bonus, you're getting two. And with uh, a Centurion, weapon skill five, three attacks base, you're looking at six attacks on the charge for this Terminator Centurion, which is a lot of Lightning Claws. In addition to this, they also have the Centurion rules that allow them to upgrade to specific consoles. However, there are several options which are limited to the Centurions that are in Terminator armor because they're just not allowed to be all of those. 
Centurions in Terminator armor cannot be a Master of Signals. They cannot be a Vigilator, a Pathfinder, a Moritat, a Pravian, or an Armistos. So interestingly, the Master of Signals, the Vigilator, the Moritat, and the Pravian all have, I guess, official Forge World models, that, and they are mar modeled in what would be power armor or artificer armor. So maybe that has something to do with this um, with this idea. Thematically, I think it makes sense for the Moritat and the, the uh, Vigilator to not work out in Terminator armor. Master Signals and the Pravian, I guess, mm, I don't know that I necessarily love that. The Armistos is designed to stand with a heavy support squad, so yeah, that makes sense too. But but you're not missing out on a lot. You can still be a librarian or an esoterist. You can still be a champion, a forge lord. The Primus Medicaid, which is super important. Uh, Siegebreaker, Chaplain, of course, the Delgatus, and the Herald. So there's lots of other things you can be. Oh, and the mortif Mortificator, but that, that one got changed a lot, which we'll get to. So there's definitely still a lot of options. So when we're looking at these layouts right from the start, one of the things to point out that is that you cannot, in fact, get a um, invulnerable save better than a 5-plus on one of these Centurions unless you put them in Cataphracti armor. So if you are looking at one of these and you want one of your these special battlefield roles filled by one of these HQ choices, the Cataphracti Centurion is going to be the most probably survivable out of the bunch. So that's at least worth looking at because instant death is definitely a thing. Characters do find themselves in combat with characters, other characters that have power fists or sergeants who are literally only there to squash other characters. So a 4-plus invulnerable save versus a 5-plus, it matters a lot. However, you know, there are some options that, some things that don't work out like that, a, a Vigilator, for example, or a Moritat. But just taking a look at those things, you know, it's something to consider before we move forward. So the first console type that we're going to take a look at, and this one will be probably one of the easier to talk about, is the Master of Signals. It is a 35-point upgrade from the standard Centurion format of 60 points. It cannot be given to a Terminator, which again, I th it makes me sad, but whatever, it's not that big of a deal. And it has a very specific battlefield role. The Master of Signals gains a special rule called Strategic Comms. And Strategic Comms says, once per turn when any friendly unit is called upon to take a morale or pinning test, that check may be made using the leadership characteristic of the model with this special rule, or any other model in the same unit as the model with the special rule. In addition, as long as this model with the special rule is on the battlefield but not in reserves, then all reserve rolls made by the controlling player may be re-rolled. Okay, so this is obviously a nice leadership-boosting thing, and it totally makes sense. The Master of Signals has improved the comms of your forces, and so as long as this person is on the field, then you get to test at a leadership nine with any unit that's on the board. If you have it with another character who's even a you know a leadership 10, then you get that bonus, which is pretty great. So if you've got this this character in a squad with a Praetor, I mean, you, you might want to do that. So that is a pretty good skill on its own. The re-rolling reserves is also pretty fantastic. I think a lot of people are going to take a look at the Master of Signals as a way of bringing in their own deep strike squads. I'm sorry, deep strike assaults or outflank assaults or subterranean assaults 
um, a little bit more efficiently. So it's definitely something to t take a look at. And I think that anyone who is going to be relying on Deep Strike might want to consider looking at converting or buying a Master of Signals. The next thing is to take a look at the war gear that they receive. So for that 35 points, they gain that special rule, and they also gain the following bits of war gear. They gain a Cognus Signum, a Vox Disruptor Array, an Augury Scanner, and a Nuncio Vox at no points cost. Then, however, it says, a Master of Signals may not select a combi weapon of any type, a Boarding Shield, a Bolter, a Power Fist, a Thunder Hammer, Lightning Claws, a Bike, or a Jet Bike. So interestingly enough, they can take a jump pack, but that's it, pretty much. They can take jump packs, and they can take power swords. And actually, does it say, oh, it does say Thunder Hammer. I thought that would have, might have been accidentally somehow misplaced or not, not listed. So basically, the options that this character has are um, pistols, and they can take power weapons. So we take a look back at our options. Um, you're looking at a plasma pistol. You're looking at a Volkite Serpenta or then charnable weapons or power weapons. You're probably not going to upgrade this model very much. And honestly, because of the utility that they provide, because of their other special war gear, I can see not putting anything on this unit. Maybe if you feel like it's important for an HQ to have a ceremonial power weapon, I would totally give them a power sword or something like that, just to mark their position in office. But I don't think it's necessary. I, I Hopefully, probably, you want this person in the back attached to a shooting unit because of the other cool things that they can do. So I've covered in my other content um, the Augury Scanner and why it's such an amazing item, but you know this character uh, gets one of those for free. That would itself would be a 10-point upgrade for any other squad. Uh, an Augury Scanner prevents any model from being deployed within 18 inches of it with, uh, via the Infiltrate special rule. A unit that includes at least one model with an Augury Scanner ignores the 24-inch limit in line of sight when making shooting attacks with night fighting. So one of the most painful things about night fighting, not being able to target very far across the board. They just ignore that. And then finally, when an enemy unit is deployed to the battlefield from reserves, a unit that includes at least one model with an Augury Scanner may make the Interceptor Advanced Reaction without expending a point of the Reactor player's Reaction Allotment. This does not allow the unit to make more than one reaction per phase, but does allow the controlling player to exceed the normal three reactions limit in a given phase. This is the thing about the Augury Scanner that just makes it almost kind of broken. Um, and so putting this guy in with a shooting unit of some strength will guarantee then that you've got the ability to you know, do just that. Make sure that you are able to react to any units coming in off, from off the board. The next thing that they have is the Cognus Signum. The Cognus Signum gives the unit night vision. So, you know, kind of doubling up from the Augury Scanner, uh, just totally ignoring night fighting problems. In addition to that, a model with a Cognus Signum making a shooting attack in the shooting phase can, well, they can just not shoot and instead make sure that all of the other units Models in the unit gain a bonus of plus one to their BS for that shooting phase, and only that shooting phase. This is not cumulative, and no benefit can benefit from more than one bonus from a Cognus Signum. So this is one of the reasons why you might not upgrade anything. Uh, you might not be giving your Master of Signals a pistol or anything else, because why, why do they need it? You're probably going to put them with a squad that is going to instead want a plus one to hit. So, like, for example, uh, Iron Warriors, you know, put a Master of Signals with 
the Iron or Iron Havocs, no, not Iron Havocs, I'm sorry, the Tyrant Siege Terminators. So now you're shooting a ton of missiles at Ballistic Skill 5 or, you know, hitting on 2s instead of hitting on 3s. It's a really, really effective uh, boost. It's a, it's an amazing force multiplier. And again, it's a part of the bundle that you get for just 35 points on the standard Centurion. They also gain a Nuncio Vox, which is a... It has a, rules that basically help with scattering. Um, at, at, while at least one model with a Nuncio Vox is present on the battlefield and not embarked in a vehicle or building, their controlling player can re-roll any scatter rolls made... Uh, whether it's part of a weapon attack or deployment of a unit, as long as the model with Nuncio Vox has line, to the, line of sight to the unit de deployed. So it's not within a specific range, just as long as you can see where either you're trying to shoot or you know, where you're trying to deploy, then you get to re-roll that, um, re that uh, scatter, which is great. So the next piece of war gear that's important to talk about is the Vox Disruptor Array which has um, some very unique interactions with the way Deep Strike assaults and uh, Deep Striking in general works. So while there's at least one model with a Vox Disruptor on the battlefield, regardless of any, um, regardless if it's a friendly or enemy, any attempt to perform a Deep Strike, a Drop Pot Assault, Aerial Denial Drop, or Subterranean Assault is disordered on the roll of a 1 or a 2 or a 3 instead of just a one. Interestingly enough, outflank all day, the Vox Disruptor Array has nothing to say about that. You're doing just fine. It's not gonna bother with those. So the way all of these deep strikes work is that you make a reserves roll. You, if you successfully pass, then you place the first model of your, your unit, and then you roll a standard scatter. Once that is scatter is completed, as long as everything is okay there, then you roll an additional dice. Normally, on a two through six on that second dice, everything's fine, and then the controlling player can deploy the rest of their units um, within a certain amount of distance to the original unit. However, if you roll a one, then it counts as disordered, and then instead your opponent can place the rest of the units within X amount of inches of the first unit, um, as, and, and then they don't scatter even. So for deep strikes and for drop pot assaults, this distance is anywhere within 24 inches of the original. You can just drop them off there. And uh, for subterranean assaults, it's, it's 12, strangely. But regardless. Now, obviously, um, <laughs> a, dis a disrupted assault is bad um, for you if that's your if that's your forces coming on, and um, the Vox disruptor relay, relay um, makes it a disrupted or you know disordered um, deep strike on a one two or a three instead of just a one. So a dramatic a dramatic increase in a chance of your opponent having an opportunity to place your models now. This got FAQ'd, thankfully, um, because originally it did not state that the Vox Disruptor Array could be controlled in any way, shape, or form, but the player who controls it has a chance at the beginning of the turn to decide whether or not it is on or it is off. So if you are fielding a Master of Signals and you are bringing it <clears throat> so that you can bring on your Deep Strike Assault more efficiently, you decide, of course, at the start of the turn that you want it, you're hoping to roll a successful reserves roll, that it's off. Um, but on other turns, or if you're not actually bringing it along to help your deep strikes, 
you're just bringing it along to disrupt, then you just keep the thing running at all times. Now, how would I use this unit? I think that I would buy a standard Centurion, I would give them this upgrade, and I would maybe consider giving them a power weapon that I hope that they never use, just so that I can model it on the model, or just so that I can, you know, uh, feel like it's part of the, the flair of the thing. Because I don't necessarily like the idea of taking a special character without any special weapons. That being said, I, I'm really not going to do much with it other than probably put it into a squad with a bunch of maybe heavy weapons or just special weapons because I'm hoping to use that Cognus Signum every turn to try to make that squad's shooting a little bit better. I would definitely put it into a list that had, um, you know, some deep striking, maybe a little bit, but I also might just put it into a list if I know that my opponents are going to be doing a lot of deep striking. I've played one game with a Cognus, I'm sorry, with, with a Master of Signals, and it did, in fact, come in handy um, as far as scattering my, my friend's stuff as it came in from Deep Strike. So I think that is how I would do it. Um, you know, I included it in my Hammer of Olympia list for Iron Warriors because even though I wasn't bringing anything in from Deep Strike because you, the right of war prevents you from doing so, it still turned out handy. The next one we're going to talk about is going to be the Legion Vigilator. The Legion Vigilator is 35 points on top of the base Legion Centurion of 60 points. And so it is, again, only available to regular Centurions, not Terminator Centurions. So what do you get for that? 35 points gets you the Marked for Death and Master Sniper Special Rules. And the controlling player may choose to grant the Vigilator either Scout or Infiltrate. So... No matter what here, you can so you can infiltrate with them. You can put them into a unit that has infiltrate, and you can put them on the board forward if you wish. You can also give them scout. They could technically join an outflank if they wished, uh, which is all pretty cool. Marked for death is a very interesting rule with potential for some pretty big game impact, but it is also a rule that I have forgotten two out of the three games in which it has applied. So Mark for Death says that at the start of the battle, once both enemies have set up all their models, including Infiltrator, a single enemy unit may be chosen by the player that controls any models with this special rule, and this unit is considered marked for death. When any models with this special rule controlled by that player are used to make an attack of any kind against that enemy unit that has marked for death, you reroll ones to wound. So if you have four units with marked for death, you only still get one target unit, but all of your units that have this marker, marked for death, do get, in fact, to, to use that bonus. There are quite a few units that have marked for death. Um, mostly, though, for, for most legions, it's going to be Seekers, and it is going to be the Vigilator, which is cool and um, good because that's one of the places that I'm going to suggest fielding a Vigilator, wh where I would put them if I was going to put one into my army. So the Mark for Death and the Master Sniper Special Rules. The Master Sniper Special Rule is unique to the Vigilator, and it says when making a shooting attack with any weapon that has the Sniper Special Rule, a model with the Special Rule adds the Rending 2+, plus and Shell Shock 1 to the attack. If the attack already has Rending, they do not stack with those provided by the Special Rule. Use the highest two of the variants. Okay. On top of this, a Vigilator gets for free, for that 35 points, you get all these Special Rules, Plus, you get a Mastercrafted Nemesis Bolter and Melt-A-Bombs at no additional points cost. You are restricted. You cannot take a bike, a jet bike, or a jump pack, and you have to be 
out of Terminator armor. So they're just on foot. That's that's the only way you're going to be able to field these guys. So if we're just looking at the points breakdown, a Nemesis Bolter is going to be 10 points for any character. And Mastercrafted is usually about a 10-point upgrade itself. And then Melt-A-Bombs, um, 5 to 10 points, depending on how you look at it. So this... This, um, just the war gear alone is roughly what you would pay if you were going to buy something like this for the Vigilator. In addition to that, you get these special rules. So it's a very cost-effective unit, even though it is restrictive. Okay, so let's talk about how you would use this unit. Um, I would not necessarily buy anything extra for this unit, and here's why. So a Legion Vigilator has a ballistic skill of 5, so you're going to hit on a 2+. plus. It's a mastercrafted weapon, which means you're re-rolling ones, which gets you a very, very, very high, like, ballistic skill 2 plus means 83% of the time you're hitting anyway, and then you get a chance to re-roll at a 2 plus. So you're very, very likely to hit. Now, after that, despite you ignore any strength of this weapon or whatever else, because you have rending 2 plus. Rending 2 plus means that no matter what, as long as it has a toughness characteristic, you wound on a 2 at AP2. In addition to that, it also adds an additional armor penetration roll, but you're probably not going to be shooting anything with this gun as far as armor goes. This is mostly for killing characters or, well, sometimes maybe even pinging dreadnoughts, but on top of that, it also has the Shell Shock 1 special rule, so any unit that takes a casualty from this shot uh, takes a pinning test at a minus 1. So we're already talking about how uh, penalties on leadership have a dramatic effect on your ability to pass leadership or pinning tests. So Shellshock 1 is great. But if you look at these rules as well, you have an extremely high chance of causing an injury and killing a one-wound model with this unit. Even if they have, for example, Artificer Armor or... Um, a feel no pain, like if you're you're targeting like a, a squad sergeant, okay? They're just banking on that feel no pain because you have a near 100% chance or it's roughly 90% chance to hit and wound this model. And then, so it's, it's very likely that they're going to have to take that save. So those two things together are even better because of course you've got this marked for death special rule. So if you're targeting the same unit as your marked for death choice, then you're re-rolling ones to hit and you're re-rolling ones to wound. And that's that's very impressive. The thing that's important to note about the Vigilator is that because Centurions have the Relentless special rule, as talked about before, they can run and gun with this uh, Mastercrafted Nemesis Bolter. So you could put it, this is what I've done, I've put a Vigilator in with a squad of Seekers for my Firewing army. They're going to be, because the Seekers also have the Mark for Death rule, both uh, the Vigilator and the Seekers, are going to get a benefit from targeting one that marked for death target. So that's good. There's extra synergy there. There's a reason for you to be targeting it so you're not wasting shots one way or another. Um, this is a really good unit. I think thematically it fits into some lists specifically, but considering the fact that mark, the way marked for death works where you just get one unit anyway, it's not really penalizing you for just taking one unit with marked for death or one vigilator and one squad of seekers together. So like, let's say you're playing a standard list, like a Pride of the Legion or whatever else. And so you, typically your focus is going to be on, you know, Terminators and veterans. Well, you're going to probably be a smash your face kind of, you know, up, up in your opponent's grill sort of uh, player with that. 
If you choose to take a squad of Seekers and a Vigilator on top of that for a little bit of extra flavor and flair to break up the monotony and design simple single focus design of your army, you can specifically position this unit at, you know, infiltrating and everything to decide what it is that you want this squad to kill. So it's a really useful additional tool. It acts as a nice complement to an army that is otherwise designed for, you know, uh, close combat or whatever else. It's really effective, it's really cost efficient. And I very, very highly rate the Vigilator. Um, I think it'd be boring to see just tons and tons of snipers on, you know, the board. But if I were, if I were fielding like a close combat focused army, um, I think this would be a fun thing to take to add an additional dimension to my army list. The next one we're gonna talk about is the Legion Pathfinder. And the Legion Pathfinder, comes with um, the Scout, Infiltrate, Move Through Cover, and Pathfinder Special Rules. So a ton of rules. Uh, they increase their movement characteristic to 8, and they gain the Skirmish subtype. In addition, uh, they must exchange their Artificer Armor for Scout Armor for no additional points cost, and they gain a Mastercrafted Astartes Shotgun for free. So right away, let's take a look at that. We're looking at a character that we're buying and building, and it's going to have a 4-plus armor save and a 5-plus invuln at best because it's a Centurion, but it gets a Mastercrafted shotgun. Okay. So the Pathfinder has a couple of things going for it, I suppose. One is that it's very cheap. A Pathfinder upgrade costs 10 points, which is probably good because you're losing a ton of survivability with that armor change. The other thing is you do get a bunch of rules, including Scout, Infiltrate, Move Through Cover, like I said, and Pathfinder. Pathfinder uh, allows you to ignore diff dangerous terrain tests, which is actually probably pretty, pretty beneficial in this edition. There is going to be a lot of dangerous terrain popping up, and dangerous terrain is different. Uh, it's much more dangerous, I think. Um, but with all of that, Move Through Cover allows you to ignore the effect of difficult terrain for movement and charging. Pathfinder allows you to ignore dangerous terrain entirely. Infiltrate and Scout allow you to set up in different ways. I think mostly the reason you're using this unit is because you want to attach it to something that you can put into an outflank strike. It's not a terrible thing. Um, you know, it's 70 points base for this unit. I don't think I would ever give it a weapon upgrade other than maybe a ranged weapon upgrade because why are you going to take a character, give it... Um, extra combat weapons, bump up its cost 50%, and then have it go out there with a 4 plus, 5 plus save. Uh, it's, that seems silly to me. So I've spent some time thinking about this, and I've tried my best um, to imagine a scenario in which I might use this unit. The thing about this unit, it, it, it can scout, um, so it can go into an outflank assault. Um, but the thing is, because of the way Outflank works, it doesn't grant it to a squad, so it's not like you're going to bring it to help, uh, you know, piggyback a unit into Outflank Assault that doesn't, that wasn't there before. So it's not like the Warmonger used to be in, um, in Last Edition, where you'd buy this just so you could give one unit Deep Strike. There was a lot of utility in that. It was, it was worth an HQ slot for something like this. The one thing that this guy does is allows you to ignore dangerous and difficult terrain essentially. Um, that's nice, I guess. And I, I suppose depending on, I mean, maybe if you are playing a right of war 
that has a lot of difficult terrain, dangerous terrain, or if you're playing against an opponent who um, creates a lot of those features, I could see using it, I, I suppose. But the HQ slot is a really competitive slot. Um, I know we're just talking about Centurions, but um, you have to bring um, at least one of these guys, at least one Centurion or HQ choice. If you want to run a Rite of War, you have to bring either a Del Goddess, which we'll talk about next time, or a, a Praetor. So that's one of your HQ slots sorted. Um, you have to um, then think about all the other HQs that, that you could possibly bring. Now, we've talked today so far about um, the Master of Signals. Um, we're going to talk about, or we talked about the, the Vigilator, and we're going to talk about the Moritat. And all of those have very flavorful roles. They're really effective at doing certain things. They're really fun. Um, this unit doesn't have that. I'm sorry. I just don't see the, why you would do this. It's It's got anti-synergy towards surviving. It would allow you to do one specific thing, get one unit maybe to an easier charge if they had to charge through difficult terrain or dangerous terrain, I suppose. I just don't think it's very fun. Um, it's not effective. A mastercrafted shotgun is just not cool enough for me to rate bringing this squad. Listeners, please tell me that you have come up with a cooler idea for this unit than I have, and tell me um, that I'm wrong. I would love to hear that I'm wrong and that I've that I've missed some very obvious idea for this unit, but I just I just don't get it. The next. Uh, regular Centurion or Artificer Armor variant only option is the Legion Moritat. Legion Moritat gains Scout, Counterattack, uh, Bitter Duty, which means that it, they can only be placed with uh, Destroyers, and the Chain Fire Special Rule. In addition, a Legion Moritat may never be selected as the Army Warlord, so this is always a second HQ choice that you're throwing in there. Okay, the Chain Fire Special Rule. Holy crud, it's half a page. Let's get to it. So when you're using chain fire, you can declare a shooting attack, but it can only be pistol weapons. And you may do so instead of making normal shooting attacks during your turn. Specifically, this cannot be part of a reaction. When you make a chain fire attack, the model with this rule can make up to six attacks in the same shooting phase with each of their weapons. Now, if they have a weapon like a Serpenta that allows you to shoot twice because it's a pistol two weapon, this means you can have a total of 24 total attacks. How's your math skills holding up there? Two pistols. Each attack shoots twice. Six attacks each equals 24. Still with me? All right, good. You roll to hit for every one of those shots. You may never re-roll those hits. And specifically, it says that weapons that, that don't roll to hit cannot be used. So no template or blast pistols. Are there some? I suppose, yeah, there might be. Okay. When making a chain fire attack for a weapon that has get hot or armor bane. So right now I can think of, I th think uh, Blood Angels have those Infernus pistols that are melted pistols. And then we'll talk about gets hot in a second. Um, you may roll, you roll individually. And if you roll a one, you stop rolling for that weapon immediately. No further hit rolls may be made with that weapon for the remainder of the phase. So if you have two pistols with gets hot, you can shoot both of them. If one of them rolls a one, you stop with that pistol, but you can shoot with the other. So you're going to want to roll one at a time individually for these kinds of weapons. Volkite Serpenta, just pick up your bucket of dice, go to town. Okay. 
After making a chain attack, a model with a special rule and any unit they're with cannot declare a charge. So you're probably not going to want to put these with, well, if you're putting them with an assault destroyer squad, plan for the fact that you can charge with them. And when making a chain fire with more, uh, with more than two appropriate weapons, you have to select and use the same two for the whole deal. So I can see, like, I don't, is there a way to get three pistols on a Mortat? There probably is. But regardless, you have to just use two from start to finish. As far as war gear, the Mortat gains rad grenades. So that's good. That's typically like a 10-point upgrade, and it's kind of specific. Now let's get to the spicy stuff. Um, a Moritat may not select a combat bike or a jet bike, which makes sense. How are you supposed to shoot two pistols while you're, you know, riding a, riding a bike? Um, it looks like they can, and, you know, this makes sense because the model is, the Forge World model has one, but you can have a jump pack. Um, but the spiciness comes from the fact that the second bolt pistol that they gain for additional points, uh, they you can exchange any bolt pistol for a disintegrator pistol for plus 20 points per weapon. A disintegrator pistol is 12-inch range, standard, strength 5, AP 2, um, pistol 1, instant death, and gets hot. So... Gets hot in this edition. Um, it is again a little, little stronger. Um, you roll to a one. If you roll a one to hit, it's a gets hot roll, and then you immediately take a. Um, you are, are struck at the AP value of the weapon. So with an AP two weapon, this is bad news. You're just going to take a wound. Um, so for a console, this means that you. You I mean you got two wounds. So that's good, but I just want you to take a second and figure out or think about um, what this means. So if you have two disintegrator pistols and you are shooting six times with each pistol, then statistically, statistically you should roll two ones, okay? Um, there, a dice, a six-sided dice has six sides. And if you roll a six-sided dice six times, math says that you will roll one one. You should. And you're doing that twice. So statistically, you should get two ones on this thing. So um, your Mortat, mathematically speaking, is nearly guaranteed to kill themselves with two disintegrator pistols. Now that being said... You've got to hope that you roll your ones towards the end of your six dice so you get your other shots. Because again, because of the chain fire special rule, as soon as you roll a one, you stop rolling. So if you have the bad fortune of rolling that one on the first attack for both of those uh, weapons, you could very easily uh, jump this Moritat out there, spend the points on them, have them get close to a, a target they want to destroy, and immediately kill themselves at the start of their shooting. Now, you can still get to roll your uh, invulnerable save, but again, because it's a Centurion, the, the best you can do is a... Because it's a Centurion and you can't put these in Terminator armor, the best you can do is a 5-plus save. So you do not have, like, the highest outlook of surviving this. Now, that being said, Disintegrator Pistol having an instant death rule means that it will absolutely light up any infantry equivalent... Um, that it shoots at. Uh, instant death, doesn't matter how many wounds you have. This model is going to do some work. It's, it's gonna kill some things. 
So, <laughs> but, but let's take a look at this all told though. So depending on your layout, um, you're going to, you're going to take the Centurion at 60 points. You are going to spend a very impressive 45 points for the upgrade. Um, the Moritat is one of the most expensive uh, console options you can have. Then, depending on how you're using this thing, I mean, I think a lot of people will want to put them with jump packs so they can get someplace and unload before they get shot off the board. So that's 20 points. So now we're looking at 125 points. And then maybe you're interested in taking disintegrator pistols, two of them for 20 points a piece. So we're looking at we're looking at a very expensive model. All told, this is what, 165 points? Okay. Now, that's reasonable still for an HQ, if it's an HQ that's going to last most of the game. But the, this is an HQ which has a very, 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 very high likelihood, very high chance of just smoking himself. Uh, so am I going to do this? Do I recommend this character? Absolutely, I recommend this character. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this guy is dual-wielding death itself. Absolutely, you should build one of these things. I'm totally going to add one to my list um, for... Gosh, what do I want to put him in? I don't even know. I haven't decided yet. But yes, I'm going to build one with disintegrator pistols. Yes, is he going to die every game by his own hand? Probably. But it's such a cool meme. Are you kidding me? Like, sometimes, at some points in your lists you're probably going to be looking at building and if you're like me you get maybe you get to a point with the last like five six hundred points of your army list and you're thinking to yourself um i've already included a lot of really efficient really tough stuff how do i soften this list down or how do i make it fun as opposed to just really tough uh crazy more attack with disintegrator pistols probably going to kill something in response maybe maybe going to wipe out um you know a, a squad maybe but very likely going to kill themselves, too. Um, 10 out of 10 as far as humor and unpredictability factor, though. So I can't, I can't stress enough how cool I think this idea might be. Now, someone asked, um, uh, somebody asked me, they saw that disintegrator pistols were an option here. So does that mean plasma pistols are not an option? No, that's fine. Um, you can still take two plasma pistols because... Uh, the Legion Centurion has it on their list. So you may exchange a bolt pistol for a plasma pistol for plus 10 points. Plasma pistol is a lot more friendly as far as how likely you are to murder yourself, but it still has get hot. The biggest difference is because the plasma pistol has AP4, then you are uh, going to still get your 2 plus armor save against the wounds you're taking, as opposed to just going right to wounds because of uh, the Disintegrator's Pistols AP2. The Volkite Serpenta is only a two-point upgrade, and that is probably where, if you're looking for like the most efficient way to actually field this unit, that's definitely the way to go. It, this one model will get 24 shots, hitting on twos. Um, as I talked about before, um, oh wait, did they get marked for death? I can't remember. They do not get marked for death. Well, that's a bummer. But so they're not going to get to reroll ones. Well, they can't reroll ones anyway because of the chain fire. Never mind. I'm having a I'm having a, a seizure here. Um, but 21, 24 shots. You're still looking at a lot of hits, and you're looking at um, you know 
a lot of hits, you're looking at a deflagrate weapon even there, so you're going to kill a couple units and then cause a couple more saves because of the Volkai Serpenta. I think that would be probably the, I don't know, the crunchier way to go. Still cool, still fun, uh, not broken by any stretch of the imagination, but don't you want two disintegrator pistols? I think you might. Special shout out to the Iron Hands. Um, this will be the one and only time I shout them out, but whatever. Uh, Iron Hands can actually take uh, Graviton pistols on their characters. Uh, if if they could take a Plasma pistol, they could instead, instead exchange it for a Graviton pistol for free. So uh, if you're an Iron Hands player, a Graviton pistol dual wielding uh, Moritat is also a hilarious idea. Whatever vehicle or Dreadnought they roll up on is just, is just going to die. Um, which is pretty awesome because of Haywire and whatever else. Now, the last thing that's sort of interesting to think about with a Moritat, um, w whatever options, besides that, because of the fact that they've got Bitter Duty, the only squads that they can enter are, you know, Destroyers or the like. So if you put it in with a Destroyer squad to safe keep them so they can go someplace and, you know, do the shooting, uh, they won't be able to, the Destroyer squad won't be able to charge after they fire. So... That kind of changes perhaps the way you think about these guys working. Um, however, if you just want to go lone gunman and just have them go solo and try to go after a target, you're going to definitely need to work to keep them safe um, and not sniped off the board before you get to whatever it is you're trying to shoot. But one of the things that I've been thinking about is the fact that with uh, the reaction return fire being so powerful, Depending on what you're trying to shoot, if they can shoot back at you, um, it might be mutually assured destruction. Well, maybe that's not such a big deal if you're a destruct, um, a disintegrator dual-wielding Moritat, you know? I mean, you're going to blow yourself up anyway, so go ahead and use your stratagem. Um, in that case, there is there is a reason, there is a, there's an idea behind taking them solo and just having them go point and click and delete something else. Now, the biggest thing, of course, is um, making sure that whatever you're you're going after to delete is something that is at least equal points value to the 160 some point Moritat you're wielding. But I mean, you know, a Dreadnought, that seems like a decent trade point for point. Um, you know, maybe a heavy support squad, a squad of Terminators. Uh, there's lots of options that might be out there on the table. Um, swapping one for one isn't necessarily a bad idea, depending on how lucky you're able to get. Um, but it's worth looking at. And honestly, like I said, it's just a fun model. It's a fun idea. So there are a couple of other Centurions that are, are still uh, Artificer Armor only, but we are going to save those for next time because this is already stretching quite long. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about more options. If I was going to recap, uh, basically I think that uh, the Moritat's a cool idea. The Master of Signals is definitely great. Um, I am not sold on the Pathfinder whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, I just don't think I can see a use for it um, in almost any situation. But the others are flavorful, fun, and definitely useful. So we'll catch you next time with uh, some more Centurions. And we will get into some of the units that actually uh, can take the Terminator armor, which... I think because of that four plus save is going to be important for us to talk about, including one of my favorites uh, coming up, the champion. 
So next up here, we have a little segment um, that I recorded a couple weeks ago, most of it, uh, when it was live at an event uh, that we do locally in, in uh, the Midwest called the Horsey Heresy. So the Horsey Heresy is a, uh, we go to an Airbnb, uh, we pick a place sort of out in the in middle of nowhere, and um, we play Horse Heresy for a couple days, do a basic campaign over like four or five rounds over like two and a half days. Um, it's called Horsey Heresy because the first place that we uh, went to, the inaugural Horsey Heresy, um, was a barn with an attached, you know, like with horses attached to it, and um, it literally covered with like all of the uh, uh, Hobby Lobby horse decor that a person could physically cram into one house. It was so hilarious that, well, the name has stuck. Um, we had a great time, and uh, here is that recording, and I'm joined by a guest, uh, my friend Doug from 2 Plus Tough. Okay, we're coming to you live from when we recorded this, as is always the case when you record things. <laughs> How's that? You like that? <laughs> live from the past. Live from the past. Uh, this is uh, Ned, and I'm here from Horsey Heresy, and uh, I've got a guest here. Hi, I'm Doug with 2 Plus Tough. And uh, invited Doug out to our little um, mini convention, just a bunch of friends uh, in a cabin playing some Heresy. Mm -hmm. And this is our first event for Heresy 2.0, and um, we're having a lot of fun. Are you enjoying it? Oh, I'm having an absolute blast. Yeah, I didn't know people did stuff like this. <laughs> well, we came up, so I came up with this idea a couple years ago because basically I, I just said, you know, I enjoy the conventions, mm -hmm. but all the time spent going to and from and then like all the extra expenditures from, you know, buying beverage and food on yeah. location. And so this is nice. We just rent a place, bring our own snacks and just hang out in yep. some place kind of quiet for two days. So um, Doug is also um, going to be making some content for this on his YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And um, very likely, if you're listening to this, you came here from there first, but we're going to reciprocate and I'll add the link. <laughs> to uh, his video in the cast here as well. Um, but we're just going to talk a little bit about how it's been going so far. Yeah. So if you are looking to do something like this for yourself, um, basically we have the rundown of the event so far. It's 12 people. We have six loyalists and six traders. And uh, we're going to play a four-round system over three days, um, it's, which means that we are going to be up pretty late tonight because yeah, we've only played one yeah, round so far. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, so round we're at, we're at the end of round two, and it's been going pretty good so far. Um, round one was War of Lies. It was the mission for everybody. And we had five regular tables and one Zone Mortalis table. Yep. And you played on the Zone Mortalis table both times, right? Uh, How did your yeah. first game go? So the first game was awesome. It was against... Uh, so I'm running Sons of Horus. And uh, my opponent was running Imperial Fists for round one. And we kind of modified the Zone Mortalis mission. If, you're, if you've read the magazine, it says that the defender puts one objective in the center of their quadrant. And we've realized that that's way too good for the defender. So we put it in the center and then everything else is as is. And it's, it's, been made, it's made some really fun games. The Imperial Fist game was awesome. Yeah. Um, so it's very thematic. Sons of Horus, Imperial Fists, and we're... Cthonia's reckoning in a space station, basically. And uh, some highlights from that were 10-man tactical squad holding up a whole unit of phalanx. Is that what they're called? Phalanx warders, yep. yeah. Yeah, um, Because they just couldn't get enough guys around me to, like, hit me. It was just tight corridors. I clogged the lane. 
uh, from that combat. I kept them off the objective, and I had one tactical sergeant survive the game, so he's getting a name <laughs> this, this weekend. Uh, and in that same thing, there was three, and you'll have to tell me the name of the automata. Uh, Castellax, I believe they Castellax, were. Castellax, okay. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I didn't know anything about their rules, um, but unfortunately my opponent, Zach, he, just every roll, he did not do well with them. Yeah. Um, so they, they fired two shots, every single one of them. He did a gets hot, <laughs> just about. Yeah. And then uh, he charged my Contemptor, which I thought would be a good fight. It was not a good fight. It was not a good fight. fight. Uh, If you can imagine someone, like, backhanding and then fronthanding and then backhanding again, (laughs) that's pretty much what happened as he tore through three of these things. Uh, It was pretty magnificent. (laughs) Yeah, so this this episode, when it comes out, will also have a little bit of first my first look at the Mechanicum rules. And uh, yet the the Castellax... Um, that uh, the Imperial Fist player used, he brought them, uh, I think along as a, with a Pravian, or this, whatever the special character is, I think yeah. it is Pravian, yeah, that allows you to take three of them. And it's a cool, fun addition to the list, but unfortunately they're a little underpowered, I think, at this point. Um, still a cool model to build and buy, but just not going to stack up against, unfortunately, a Contemptor. But you can say that about a lot of things, so it's maybe not that big of a problem. Um, but you enjoyed that game. You had a good time with that, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that was great. I think I think the real deciding factor was I decided to go with a lot of units that were like five-man Terminators. They're just Arians, so yeah, they're, yeah, like, yeah. they're nasty. Yeah. But a lot of smaller units, and he really only had three big places of power with a lot of his points invested. So once one of those fell, two of the three objectives were they were just mine yeah. to have. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that went really well. Um, so an unintentional lesson about list building right yes, there. Yes, very much. You know, which does, I mean, that, that, that concept has to track, though, from AOS and other games. Like, making sure you've got enough units to control the board, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, any miniatures game. And especially, like, skirmish-ish ones, like yeah. Zone Mortalis is, where absolutely. it's, like, just having multiple threats come in from multiple directions when so much of the board is walled off. Yeah. So good. So uh, for those who don't know, Zone Mortalis, it's always meant to, like, it's boarding actions in yes, a spaceship, basically. or it's like tunnels, the subterranean tunnels under a whatever. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'll put a link in the, uh, in, the, um, in the show notes to the terrain that we have. Um, it's a Death Ray Designs um, terrain system, and it looks fantastic. And um, it just really simulates that idea of those close corridors. And so you really, not only, like, the number of units doesn't it matter, but also, like, how close you have to be yep. in there. And, like, you, you're limited on how many models you can bring to bear at one time, which is why those tactical marines did so mm-hmm. great against the phalanx warders. Exactly, yeah. So um, my first game was, um, it was my first time running my um, uh, Mechanicum, mm-hmm. Forge World. And it's a, it's a custom scheme that I came up with, and it's part of the narrative that I put together um, for, it's the, I'm calling it the Forge World Sycorax, um, because and it's a little bit of an allusion to um, uh, The Tempest, Shakespeare's The Tempest. Nerd. Yeah, I know, right. But look at where we are, friend. <laughs> for the record, for the record, we are sitting at a table full of models and miniatures and uh, surrounded by, well, all sorts of nerd apparel. But whatever. The point is that... Um, you know, I did my own thing, and in, I'm building my own narrative for the push for Beta Garment events. Mm-hmm. And I got to try it for the first time, and I went with the Myrmidax um, subdivision, or not sure, that's not the right, right word, but uh, I, I had not that many models on the board, and it, it, was, a, it was a decisive victory. I thought you were super losing, because I was like, oh, I see like 
what is it, like 12 guys? Yeah. Ta-da. <laughs> well, so it was it was interesting. Our game, we played the, the, the ambush deployment. Okay. And so that's um, my friend who was playing Ultramarines. He was like, well, I can see that, you know, maybe we, maybe we didn't see this advance coming. And so we're going to be the ambushed ones. We're defending this territory primarily. And we're like, oh, that's a cool way to to put that narrative together. Mm-hmm. And then um, basically I just loaded up on one side and pushed forward. And with the range, everybody being so close right to the start, very similar to how Zorn Mortalis works, yeah. it got bloody real quick and it was over in a turn and a half, basically. Um, but that was also the first time I played Mechanicum. Yeah. And I had theory crafted and I thought it would be pretty effective, but I was really surprised with just how brutal and effective it mm-hmm. was. So I've got some lessons and things to take back after this weekend, maybe to see how if I can... Tone the list down a little bit, maybe? We'll see. I mean, that's a better problem to have than pillow-fisted when you, right. you feel like you spend four hours and don't do anything. That's true, I mean, too. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> um, so the end of that round was uh, five traitor victories and one loyalist victory. Woot, so woot. pretty rough, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we represented in round one, and then we just now finished round two of four. Um, I had a game against uh, my friend uh, James and his beautifully painted Dark Angels. yeah. And um, the award-winning, I like to say his award-winning Dark Angels, because he won an award at Adepticon last year. So for painting or gameplay? For, uh, best theme for best. Oh, it's like yeah. Best That's like the best of both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we, I, I brought uh, my, the same thing, an Iron Warriors and Mechanicum Mix, mm-hmm. and we had a bloody battle right in the middle. We played Dominion, yep. which is an objective-based mission, and I chose to put all as many of the objectives in the middle as I could because I knew I didn't have many scoring units and I wasn't moving very quickly. Mm-hmm. So it turned into a giant mess in the middle of the board. Um, and then we it lasted, it was a really brutal game until the end of turn three and then things kind of opened up for me. Yeah. And then we ended up calling it at that point. Um, how did your second game go? Yeah, so I was playing Zone Mortalis again because I didn't, I don't, I'm newer to the heresy so I didn't have as many points and everything built ready. So we just kind of played it as I took the station last time and now I'm defending it against a second loyalist onslaught. Um, it, it ended uh, very well. It was, a, it was a spectacularly fun game. I was playing against Raven Guard and I got exposure to a lot of units and rules that I had never seen before. Like mm-hmm. I personally don't have anything with uh, deflagrate or like blind, which yeah. they do. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, they make good use of shroud, which is crazy awesome. Um, and, and really, what happened with this one was I, I had one critical combat that I flubbed, oh. where our warlords connected. We we both decided we wanted to have the warlord yeah. warlord fight because absolutely anything else is cowardice. Um, <laughs> and he had a terminator squad with his. I had a terminator squad with mine. And then that first contact, uh, I just whiffed everything. I just didn't oh. hardly touch him. Now, he didn't decimate me back because the Sons of Horus minus one strength really did matter because Terminators won't be doubled out. Yeah. Basically. So as a reminder for those, uh, the yes, Sons please. of Horus Legion trait, um, you in close combat, the first round of combat, if you're charged or you charge, uh, is minus one strength attacks against you, which yes. the, the primary thing that makes that awesome is that there's so much strength eight weapons mm-hmm. out there that now our strength seven weapons and it doesn't trigger instant death. Yep. So it's really excellent. We go yeah. ahead, sorry. No, 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 no. So it's just it's great for the, the power fist, power fist matchup the yeah. Terminators. It's wonderful. Yeah. So like I got I got a free round, I feel like. Yeah. To to mess up, but that was really a deciding blow. He had um and a whatever the Raven Guard veteran 
unit, like their special ones are. The Mordathan? Mordathan, yes. Okay. I keep wanting to say Mordecai. That's yeah. <laughs> um, but they came in and just wrecked a unit of um, despoilers, okay. te- uh, Marines. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of got p- picked apart. Um, the the exciting part, though, was that same contemptor who was slapping left and right last night, and this one took on a squad of 14 of the Furies. Oh, uh, and he just went toe to toe. He just his he's so fat that he blocked a whole corridor, and the entire game uh, they were just trading blows every single turn. He was killing two or three of them. They were putting one or two wounds on him, and on round five, uh, so we had the same initiative. They attacked me and destroyed me, and then I hit them and blew up and everything. So everybody died at the same time. That's awesome. But it was a five round fight of just brutal nastiness. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I've, le- I've learned a lot from these games. That one I did lose because he was able to kind of just tear all of my line troops apart yeah. very easily. And so I had nothing to score with by the end. Right. But uh, it was, yeah, it was awesome. You know, you were going to, you're going to have to take off early today. So you're probably done playing, mm-hmm. but you had, interestingly enough, I think you got experience two games with two very different kinds of opponents yes you know the imperial fists very like their their rules are very uh theme appropriate that they're kind of you know durable stand still Mm -hmm. hold the line and then the raven guard which are in the shadows moving around come at you from different angles so you kind of got to experience like a nice variety of gameplay and opponents despite the fact that you played just two two zone mortalis games so that's pretty cool yeah i and I don't know if you want to move into like thoughts about the game. Or yeah, yeah, like let's that. move into that. Yeah. Okay. I, I've just I've gotten more games and more experience with loyalist stuff here than before because I played you and you were doing Dark Angels before. Yep. I think when we did our demo. Yep. Um, and I, for one thing, it's incredible how different the games are when we're all using ninety percent of the same dudes. I mean, it's it's Space Marines, but they feel right. different. Yes, they do. Uh, which is wonderful. And then. I have to say, I, I kind of brushed off the Sons of Horus trait, the minus one strength. And yeah. There's a second part of that that gives ramming vehicles more <laughs> attacks, which I love. Right. But um, I, I kind of like brushed it off when I listened to people talk about it on podcasts and stuff. They're kind of like, eh, it's all right. It was awesome. I mean, I'm sure it's because the weapons you can bring in Zone Mortalis is a little bit more limited just yeah. based on the units that can carry stuff. Yeah. But uh, I, I love that rule. Um because I like playing aggressively, and that's just what they do. Yeah. And beyond that, yeah, it was just exposure to different rules and stuff like that. It's a lot to take in, but I feel... I never felt like I didn't understand what was happening. Right. Which is great. I mean, it just shows I'm getting better at the game. Right. Yeah. You're right. I, I'm glad you said that. That's that's a good point, is that a lot of people who don't aren't familiar with the system, because of the fact that... I actually think the fact that... that all the legions use basically the same lists mm-hmm. actually is a good thing for the game because everybody has essentially counters in the same way. Yeah. But it is remarkable how they feel different, extraordinarily different from the minor variations that do exist. And there, yeah. there really is. You can, you can play entirely different methods using basically the same tools. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's been great. Uh, I think as far as like not negative things, but more um, critical observations that I've had. Yeah. Had not super stoked about despoilers at the moment. Okay. Um, but you know, I would just rather just add chain swords to a, a tactical, tactical squad, squad yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, so the big thing about the despoilers is that they have 
instead of Heart of the Legion, they have Spite of the Legion, which makes them better in charging certain units that are lack that have been pinned yeah. or um, their sergeant's already dead. But so like you need there's a different kind of setup that has to take place, yeah. and you can't necessarily do that all the time. Now I would say that like because you need that setup, you kind of need to build into it a little bit. Yep. So yeah, it might be worth looking at just. I mean, maybe you do just want to build tactical marines with chain swords. It's something to think about though. Yeah, but if nothing else, it's it's nice visual variety if yes. nothing else. Yeah. And I do feel like I don't regret building them just because they're awesome, mm-hmm. but. Uh, because they feel like now I have all my infantry taken care of, two that are a little more shooty, two that are a little bit more combat-y, yeah. and the rest is just adding things that are either effective or just sound fun. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy with that. For sure. So uh, at last, when we went upstairs to record this, um, the first round it was very hard loyalist, and, and when we came up here, uh, there had been three traitor victories and two loyalist victories, with one game remaining. So after we finish recording here, and we'll get into sec- uh, I might come back by myself for the end of the game or end of the end of the tourney. Uh, but we'll see if the loyalists are able to even things up round two and move yeah. forward. And so, like I said, uh, thank if you if you come here from Two Plus Tough, thank you for joining us. Uh, and if you are new to Two Plus Tough, he's got some great Sigmar content and a lot of other fantastic stuff for just game war gaming in general. Yeah, I'm gonna be doing more Horus Heresy now that I've getting a better conception of the game. Yeah. And uh, for this event in particular, I'm going to throw a whole bunch of pictures up, like a slideshow while I'm chatting about it. So Awesome. Yeah, so check that out too. And like I said, that will be linked. Somehow I imagine that you're going to get to that before I get to this. So <laughs> <laughs> With your schedule. Yeah. With my schedule, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, thanks very much, Doug. Appreciate you being here with me. Thank you so much, man. Well, I was definitely right about the timetable. It's been two weeks since that event, and uh, here we are recording the last moments um, to reflect on it. The end of the weekend was an absolute blast. We did play two more rounds that night. Uh, My third round, I played against uh, my friend Sam from up in Minneapolis. Um, Sam brought a beautiful Iron Hands army, including um, a Thunderhawk with internal lights, uh, he was playing, I believe, Angel's Wrath list, and so he had all these planes flying in. I took them against my Iron Warriors and uh, Mechanicum. It was a bloody, brutal fight. I ended up killing all of his transports. Um, but honestly, it was Blood Feud, and he managed to score enough points to keep it a draw, um, despite the fact that I took the early advantage. So I definitely got outplayed on that one, but came away with the draw. My last game of the night was a brutal one against my friend Chris, also from Minneapolis. Chris had a beautiful White Scars army, um, came in from uh, outside of like strike, outflank strike and uh, a deep strike assault, and um, unfortunately uh, just got taken out by a lot of interceptor fire. Um, and then the Myrmidons did a lot of work against Terminators. Um, it was pretty harsh. Uh, ended up a pretty one-sided game, but I always like playing Chris, so it was definitely a good one. The end of the round actually turned out very interestingly. Um, as I said before, when I was talking with Doug, the first two rounds skewed heavily towards Trader. The last two pulled it dead even, and by the end of the weekend, um, there was a perfect. It was a perfect draw every way we could try to tabulate it. I talked with my friend Adam, who was helping run the event, and uh, there was just no other way to look at it other than a dead even um, draw. So. Um, after all of that, um, it was it was an absolute blast. We had a lot of fantastic games. 
I got to go downstairs and watch a little bit of the end of it, but I didn't get to play in it. A 6,000-point game, 6,000 points of World Eaters versus 3,000 points of Scars and um, Raven Guard. Uh, a bunch of Primarchs playing all over the place. It was really, really fun. It was a really, really fun weekend, and uh, we can't wait to do it next year. I believe the results were reported as part of uh, the Push for Beta Garmin. If I can find the link directly to that, I will put those in the show notes as well. Um, another little plug for the Push for Beta Garmin over on Facebook being run by our friend Alex, um, who you know was here last episode. I mentioned earlier in the episode that I was, in fact, going to talk about the new Mechanicum book. And unfortunately, that's going to have to get pushed. I'm just not going to have enough time to do it in this episode. Uh, we're already looking at uh, nearly, uh, hopefully not two hours, but we'll have to see. Um, I will say that I had a lot of fun playing Mechanicum and the uh, Myrmidax uh, Techno Arcana that I ran. I thought was really fun and really effective. I personally really like uh, the narrative that comes along with um, the Myrmidons. I like knowing that there's actually brains in there as opposed to the cybernetica. That's always been more interesting to me in general. And they were super effective. I will say this. Um, there are a lot of units in the Mechanicum book that I think uh, were overly adjusted, perhaps, to make them less oppressive compared to the way they were in last edition. I think that's good that the Mechanicum isn't just an auto win or an auto counter for Space Marine lists. But I think some Mechanicum players might feel a little frustrated that things are very, very different than they were before. More on that next time. And that is going to do it for us this time. I just want to say thank you so much uh, for listeners. I received a couple emails. Um, the school year started and I got absolutely hammered with uh, with little things. And I just, I just couldn't get things done over the last couple of months. And I really apologize for not putting out an episode sooner. But I really appreciate the... Uh, encouragement that I got from some of you to uh, to keep sending out sending out and making content. That was really nice. Um, so going forward, we're going to be continuing on with a couple of different things. Um, we are going to be finishing and conti- well, continuing and finishing this uh, Centurion series where we do three, maybe four of the options um, every episode. I also definitely need to take a look at the Mechanicum book more in detail, talk about some of the things that I've seen, some of the things that I've read and whatnot. And um, since I came back to start finishing, well, start start the finishing touches on this episode, we got the Imperium book announced and reviews are out and we're starting to see things there as well. So I'm really hoping to uh, dive into that one also. We are planning an event um, my friends locally are planning another event next October, um, and we're going to try to do Siege of Terra. So I'm definitely curious at looking at those uh, Solar Ox rules, and hopefully we get that Militia PDF. And my gosh, where are the demons? We need the demons so very badly for this game. Um, if you have any questions, uh, please reach out, ineptusastardus30k at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you, get some more information, more reader. I'm sorry, I do that every time. More listener questions. And um, yeah, i just love to hear from you. Uh, feedback, ideas, things you'd like to see on the, on the, um, on the show. Um, one other thing that we're going to try to do, because some of this is long. I mean, I have the, the timer is ticking at about an hour and 35 minutes right now. Um, we're going to try something where I uh, cut up some of these episodes and instead of just putting them on the podcast, try putting some of them in clips on YouTube. 
Um, see if people have an easier time firing it up and listening just the chunks there. Just a little experiment to see what people like. Um, so information for that will also be shared here in the show notes, um, updated once that gets taken care of. Um, thank you very much for all your support. So that's it for the long delayed episode four. Um, hoping to get episode five out much, much quicker. I've already started scripting and, and uh, really looking forward to talking about and exploring the other forces of the Imperium. Um, really curious about this um, about this uh, uh, Solar Ox and Custodes um, book. Some really interesting things I'm seeing, some big changes, and man, uh, looks like Custodes are going to be just as um, rough to deal with in hand-to-hand combat as they were last edition, but some other changes. So, let's see what we can come up with, and uh, we'll share some ideas with you next time. Thank you so much, and uh, take care.